What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, have I told you about that dream I had the other day? What dream? So I had this dream. It was a sweaty dream? Nah. Okay. I was on this adventure. Yep. Well, I was in Germany during this dream. You're in Germany? Yeah. Were you wearing Lederhausen? I was, yes. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Definitely was. And I was drinking steins of beer. And I just got this overwhelming need to buy a dog. Oh, I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. So I just popped on over to House Hamburg Shepherds. Oh, why wouldn't you? You'd have to. And I know that they have the best German Shepherds, but the German Shepherds. So I bought one of their Dutchies. Oh. Man. The best. Shit-mouthing German Shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> and so so then in this dream, I, I finished my giant beer and mm-hmm. I took off my Lena Hosen. Yep. And I got that Dutchie mm-hmm. and I put it on a plane yep. because they can ship them anywhere. It turns out I didn't have to even be there to buy this dog in this dream. Right. And I, I flew it over to the US. Yep. Right. So when I got there, I realized I need some equipment for this dog, this Dutchie that I've got. Wait. Were you in Canada or were you in the US? Well, I was in North America or somewhere. It's not important exactly where. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought, oh, you know what I need? Some like training gear, some collars, some leashes, harnesses. So guess where I got it from? It sounds like it's a big lead up to an old mate, Mach LaPointe. Mach LaPointe. I just yep. got onto Canon Dynamics yep. and had it shipped to me. Mm. Didn't matter where I was in the US or North America, actually. Yep. I had Canon Dynamics ship it to me. It was wonderful. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, then I'm out training this Dutchie mm-hmm. in his all of his fancy equipment. The yep. Dutchie that I got from House Hamburg Shepherds mm-hmm. using the equipment I got from Canon Dynamics. Yep. And then I was training in dog park because that's how I train. Mm-hmm. And there were some people and they had some <laughs> sort of unruly behavior from their dog. Yep. And I think at this point I was in Ashland, Virginia. and uh, Fancy I th- that. I thought, I said to them, they were like, oh, can you help us with this dog? I said, no, fuck you. I don't no, want to. I'm a dog part daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I said, fuck you, I don't want to. Yep. But I know someone who will come to your home here in Ashland, Virginia, while you're at work and will do like a little bit of a training session with your dog while you're gone. No way. You're not talking about Melanie Benway. It was Melanie Benway I was Bloody talking hell. about. Kindred Canine. So I g- gave those details. Anyway, so I went on to, you know, do some cool things with this Dutchie. Mm-hmm. And then I had to come back to Australia yep. and I brought the dog. Wow. But you know what I didn't bring? What? Was any of his equipment. Oh, he left it all there. I left it all there. Okay. So I needed all new gear. And guess where I got my leashes, collars, tugs, harnesses. Dog mills. Blah, 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 blah. Buffed Central. Einswick dog clip. Einswick Buffed. Yeah. Yeah. And when I got here, I realized, oh, you know what? I had been traveling this fictional dog in my dream around mm-hmm. in the crate that he was shipped from uh, House Hamburg Shepherds. Yeah. Well, I need a custom crate now. So I had a custom crate bill by the Buffed. Wow. Einswick.com. 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 Yeah. So after your dream, when you woke up, did you wake up with a boner? You've ruined it. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. How are you, sir? I'm good. We're doing this again. Yeah. 
The niceties, the pleasantries. Yeah, despite having just waffled shit at each other for an hour and a half. I know. Wow, what a power conversation we're having this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. We can't talk about any of it. Yeah. Hey, I've got a topic. Let's just get straight into it. Let's do it, because last time we spent almost an hour talking, and then we finally said, oh, yeah, let's talk about a topic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, go. So I thought we could talk about changing your mind, Mm. all right? What's his name? Steve. Steve who? The guy who's got the change my mind. Oh, Stephen Crowder. Stephen Crowder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. yeah. So there's those memes, yeah, because he does that at colleges, right? And he says outrage or not outrageous things, things that he thinks is true and gives people the opportunity to try and change his mind. Yeah. And more often than not, they just yell at him. But yeah, so I wanted to talk about changing your mind mm. from a people's perspective, right? And yep. then into dogs. And so once we sort of, you know, acknowledge a few things about people mean you can come to an agreement on how we would change our own minds when we have, Yep. then we could talk about how we would change the mind of a dog. Mm. We could frame that around behaviorally by, you know, getting him to do something else over, you know, like when you're training him, change minor things about the way that a behavior looks, then into sort of behavior modification or like personality change type stuff. Yep. Right. So yeah, that's my plan. Let's see if we can stick to it. Okay. Well, I probably have some experience on that in regards to when I changed my mind from being a balance trainer and experimented for a period of time where I went into becoming a four, three trainer or Mm -hmm. a plus R trainer. There's a lot of curiosity around that. Like there have been people that have challenged me on that more recently than ever that have heard me talk about it on the podcast and are very curious to say, why did you not persevere with the plus R experience? Like, why did you abandon that? Mm -hmm. And I have my reasons. I think I've discussed them multiple times on the show. I've discussed them within NDTF almost every session that I have with students. And it's not that I abandon it. I never abandon it. I just included it, but stopped the entire practice, the purity of plus R, because I just felt that it wasn't working for me and the dogs that I needed to work with. How far did you go with that? So you obviously stopped using any tools altogether. Stopped using tools. And you were in Melbourne at this time. So that was a place where that was pre-prong collar ban. So you were at the time able to use slip leashes, prong collars, e-collars, the full gamut. Yep. So you didn't use any of that. Did you use any negative reinforcement other than hunger? Did you use any positive punishment? How far did you go? Like where would you, when you were in that model, where did you draw the line and go, no, I'm not doing that? I guess it came from a bit of a dark period for me because I'd sort of left ADT at the time. I was doing my own thing. You know, I was in between sort of camps at that point in time. And I met a couple of people that they were clients of mine and they used to train the dogs with me and they switched over to this club called which was practicing force free. So I was getting a lot of heat from people back then, you know, saying, oh, the world is changing. You're not changing with it this is a new methodology and training and you really need to be inclusive of this. And I, was, I admit it, I was a bit repulsed at the start. Like I kept thinking, this is not right. This doesn't make any sense. And why would I do this? Because it seems to make sense and I'm getting effectiveness. But I kept getting challenges from people and I guess they kind of swooped on me and sort of surrounded me at the point of time in theory and never did it in a negative way, always did it in an inclusive way. And I think I, at the time I felt... I had lost my connection to the dog training realm and then I'd met a new bunch of friends. Mm -hmm. I kind of felt like I needed to explore this a little bit more and I was sort of on the cusp of thinking, well, if you can't beat them, join them Mm -hmm. because it seemed to be growing in popularity. There were people that were shifting camps during that point of time and I was more and more drawn into it. I was 
getting invited along to training sessions and, you know, small seminars that were happening at the time. And I kept thinking to myself, okay, well, this doesn't seem all that bad because the dogs seemed to be enjoying themselves and the people were really enjoying themselves. At the time, your training was probably more compulsion-based. Far more compulsion-based. Yeah. Yeah, far more So it was a radical change. It, like, it, was, it really was. Yeah. I think just to – because for me – I just realized that I was just picturing you with the skill set you currently have in use of positive reinforcement, food, toys, games, that kind of stuff, mm. just suddenly not using the tools. So like you're say at the moment, if you've got skills in both at, at 50, 50, I was just imagining you like suddenly not using the tools, but in reality, it was probably more like 90% of what you were doing was suddenly off the table, right? Mm. Like it wasn't as though you, this is where you probably got your grounding in the use of positive reinforcement, food training, toys, motivational stuff, rather than just compulsion. Like the prior to that, you were probably mostly compulsion based, would you say? I would say that a large degree of what we were doing was compulsion based because we were working a lot on guidance, training yeah. methods and so forth. And so I mean, not yank and crank, but not- still just like mostly negative reinforcement based. Mostly negative reinforcement. Yeah, because it never really was terrible use of compulsion. And we were just talking about this in the kitchen prior to doing this episode. Boyd was, uh, what would I say? The uh, leading edge. He was the leading edge at, at the time for that particular style of training. Like within Australia. Within, absolutely within Australia. During the, the 90s and the early 2000s, his institutional knowledge, especially his academic knowledge, was incredible. Mm-hmm. He really was entirely immersive about I think that was his primary passion at that point of time. So it really came through in his work and you could definitely see how passionate he was about it because he was just devouring everything, like every single book that would come out. He was traveling over to the States at the time, working with international trainers at the time, like really, you know, trying to find out what it is at the core of training. So I never felt like we were just thrown into, you know, just wrap a chain around the dog's neck and just punish it to death. Mm -hmm. That was never a system of training that was introduced to us. Like we were really exposed to the science of training very early on. Now, I wouldn't say that I had a great grasp of it early on because I found it confusing and I was young at the time and, you know, I was more focused on the practical side than I was on on the theoretical and the academic side of it. However, because we were working in that closed system, you couldn't evade it because it was the language that we were discussing. You really needed to start understanding what you were doing. I really appreciated that at the time. However, because we were working with that style of dog, like at the time, ADT was predominantly heavy influence in shepherds and Rottweilers. Males were never really seen until later on. We had some good working line dobes there at the time, like the rare ones that were existing in in Australia at the point in time, they were there. We had pit bulls coming down. We had some weird dogs like Bouviers and stuff like that, working dogs that would come Mm. down. But it was predominantly a working dog club. Yeah. So the style of training that we were using was indicative of the type of dog that we had at the time. Yeah. I was heavily invested, as people would know, you know, like I've talked about my history to the cows come home in probably this episode and early ones that we've done. And anyone that cares to know me, that was my grounding. That's where I learned. Yeah predominantly everything I learned. Mostly sort of compulsion based 20 to 30 years ago, but 
not the type of training that you would have any problem showing now to people. It's not like you were yank and cranking, no. but it was more of a guiding compulsion-based system. Well, the so NDTF is spawned from that. Yeah. So the point I'm trying to make is that it was always representing true balance, like yeah. never just rely on the tools. It was talking about, you know, like the use of reinforcers as well and how important they are. But so would it have been like praise as a reinforcer then? Praise and toys. Okay. We're always encouraged to use tugs and rags and so forth. Like every single student trainer at the time had to have a, a rag or a toy in their pocket. Okay. Like that was part of your kit that you had to carry around. Okay, cool. So I just wanted to set the scene on that. When you say that you headed towards force free mm. in those days, it's a radical change. Radical Com- change. Compared to now, like if, I, you know, I, I'll train one dog totally force free in the morning and mm. another one balanced in the afternoon. Like yep. no big deal. But- 30 years ago, huge change, like Mm. the difference between. So you gave up a huge amount of what you knew, essentially became an amateur again. Yeah, I kind of became a student all over again. And for a large part of the time, I was just sort of watching and listening and attending and, and being a part of the experience of that group. It kind of felt to me at the time even though I knew people there, like they were students of mine that crossed over, even though I knew people there, it was kind of like Hare Krishna. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I kind of felt at the time that I was joining like the um, Hare Krishna or something like that. And it was kind of peaceful. I think I just needed it at the time to have a break from everything. Uh And I think that was a part of the attraction for me is that I felt like I'd lost something and I had a bit of a hole in my life. Yeah. And then- Suddenly I gained a new family again, if that Uh, makes sense. It totally does. And I'm just super glad what you're saying. You're falling into my trap. (laughs) Not my trap, but why I'm talking about like why people change their mind and stuff. And you're fitting the mold exactly. Well, I'm aware of that. (laughs) You know where I'm going. I wasn't then. I wasn't then. Like, you know, like I didn't have enough psychological prowess to know what was happening. But now- after years of analyzing why you do what you do, that's a question that we've been asking for a long time. Like, why does a dog do what he does? Yeah. And for me, that was bettering my situation mm-hmm. was I was lonely. I'd lost orbit to where I was. Like mm-hmm. I was a someone where I was. And then suddenly I felt like I wasn't anybody. Mm-hmm. And that's a funny transition to go through. You know, like sometimes now when I think, oh, geez, if I could have that time again, it would be so peaceful to be existing on my own and enjoying that space for a long period of time. But when you're young and you're very insecure, and I was insecure back then, like really, really insecure, Mm -hmm. and I felt like, who am I unless I'm a part of this? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's why I crossed over into that. And I, I don't regret it. Like there are no regrets about it. Nobody did anything malicious to me or they actually were nice people and they treated me really well. And I found that they were considering themselves to be extremely helpful. And in some ways they actually were because they added to my arsenal of what I know about training. Like they strengthened things where I was weak and Mm -hmm. they showed me how to do things and techniques and skills that were complementary of what I knew. But I never really realized that I could use them so powerfully. But I also found that when I needed it for a certain type of dog that I was working with and I, and I couldn't access it, like I just had to look at the dog and think, how can I get a workaround on this? This is me personally, right? Because this is where some people have really challenged me on this. When I looked at the dog and I was analyzing the dog, 
and we were doing like the whole assessment criteria of how do I fix the problems that you have with the tools that I have now, okay? Because I've now feel like I've got some limitations. And people always used to say to me, there's always a workaround. And I believe that there is always a workaround. However, the problem I found was the workaround wasn't strong enough to be able to support the dogs for what they needed at the time. Now, that's where people still have an issue with me to this day when I've told this story and they're plus R trainers and they say, I just don't think you gave it long enough and you were too impulsive to switch back. Like you're addicted to the power of negative reinforcement and positive punishment. Mm. I don't believe that in my heart and soul at all. I believe that I let some dogs down Mm. and this crushes me. Like it fucking hurts my soul. Like to talk about this, like I let some dogs down that, were euthanized because I I was turning my back on principles that I knew and like that's fucking devastating. Yeah. That used to send me home and I felt like my life was spiraling out of control because not only was I lonely at the time and then I found a group of people but I felt like I was such a fucking outsider. You know, like I never really fit in I don't fit into many molds. I'm a peculiar type of person at best. <laughs> and but I embrace that now. You yeah, know, yeah, like I'm yeah. I'm cool with that. I I've always felt like a, I'm a little bit different to a lot of people. I don't like sports the same way other people like sports. You know, I don't fit into many molds. And that was weird for me at one point in time. Now I'm down with it. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I just I think you need to embrace your inner freak sometimes. But at that time, I thought I needed that. I really did think I needed that. And It turns out I didn't. I went through that transgression. And as I said, I am complimentary to those people for showing me that there was another way. They are nice people. They're good people. They're good soul of the earth type of people. They really believed in what they were doing. They were trying to make the world a better place. And I have no qualms with that at all. But for me, knowing what I knew and abandoning that to try and fit into something, and that's where I had issue with it was because I just couldn't find the right workaround. And that's the that's what I'm guess that I'm trying to make the point of is the workaround just wasn't there for me at the time. It's kind of like, well, the way it was explained to me at the time was I was an addict, addicted to the power of using tools. And then I was looking for my fix in going back to tools. So I kept getting talked out of that. You don't need to do this. There is always a workaround. When I kept saying to everyone, well, show me what the workaround is. Like, come to me with this consult and show me what the workaround was. But I felt that the workaround that was getting shown at the time for some, like a lot of the dogs prospered from it. You know, there there was, there were soft dogs in the system that were medium style dogs that were doing fine with it. And I agree that this was the better way to train the dog at the time. But for the outliers, the ones that did have the problems, like there was no workaround for them. What was happening was they were convincing the owners not to do it, Mm. you know, and it was primarily layering on top of them. Like this is as good as it gets and you need to live with this. Now I just knew that, the people, you could see the way they're looking with the dog thinking, fuck, I can't live with this. Mm. And they were literally waiting for us to go to either A, call someone else in or B, get rid of the dog. Mm-hmm. Getting rid of the dog meant either successfully or unsuccessfully trying to rehome it or euthanizing the dog. Yep. And I could see that in their face. You know, when you look at somebody, you can just see like they're going, uh-huh, mm-hmm. They're nodding at you. Like they're showing you, I hear what you're saying, but I don't believe a, a thing of it. 
that was really tugging at me. Like I kept looking at the people and thinking, I'm just letting you down. Like mm. I feel like I'm just going along with the mantra. And it was very myopic at the time. Like there was this, you know, this myopic mantra with these people where they just say, you need to layer in this type of training. And you could see the owners of the dogs saying, well, I don't want to not follow this advice because then that would make me a shit. And I kind of thought that's why they're being agreeable. Mm. But that's what I felt. And it might be wrong because, I mean, other people have had different types of experiences. But at the end of the day, there was no fix. There wasn't a fix. It was just a verbal agreement between the trainer and the handler that we'd pretty much reached a stalemate. Yeah. So as a caveat, I do need to say that there were times where the handlers were happy, the trainers were happy, and the dogs were happy. So things did work. I don't want to say it never worked. It did work. And that's where I sharpened my skills into it. That's where I found that I could be far more inclusive and more patient with a positive approach to dog training rather than just immediately reaching for tools. Because I will admit the early days was the convenience was go straight to tools. Mm -hmm. Then I could see through, and this is where this pilgrimage made me better because then it allowed me to see that I don't need to reach for the tools immediately. I can be more patient with the style of training with the dogs and say, okay, let's consider this and see how we go with this. And then we can migrate through other forms, jumping all over the places I am. What I wanted to add here is I didn't want to string the owner of the dog along and make them sign up to 10 lessons where they only needed three. Yeah, I don't like doing that. I know Michael Shikashio talked about doing 80 sessions with a dog because it was 80. I re-listened to the episode again. And he had reasons for doing so. I don't have an issue with that per se. I had a wealthy client in Melbourne who just paid me to, I think, to come around for company, just yeah. to come around and hang out and talk shit. I think at some stage, every dog trainer ends up with a exactly. person like that. And I made it clear to that person. So I had a very honest conversation with them. I said, look, I'm here to train dogs, but I kind of feel that 95% of the session is just sitting down on the couch talking and drinking a beer. And I said- yeah, but it's my money. Yeah. And right then, and that's what they said to me. They said, you've got to understand, like, this is my time that I'm paying you for and we should be able to fill it with whatever we want. That was a moral issue for me at the time. But then as soon as they said that, it was like a lightning bolt hit me and I went, ah, fair enough. Yeah, you provide them something. That- I, I've provided them with something and we weren't doing anything wrong apart from I was just basically there as a companion for people to talk to. Yeah. I thought that's fine. No problem at all. But occupying this other space that we are talking about before during that time, I kind of felt like, why do I need to make it 10 sessions when we can do it in three successfully? And instead of me just handing a fish to them, I can say, here's how to fish. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll teach you how to fish so you can, I can walk away and then you can take over the tools here and you can progressively do this and only call me back periodically as required when the next obstacle comes up. Because the true pilgrimage of a dog trainer is not to get the person stuck on the teat. They really yeah. need to be exercised of the problem. So you can say to them, what I'm doing is the knowledge that's been handed to me, it's my duty and obligation to now give it to you, okay, because you're paying me for it as a professional. So here is everything that I know that's going to successfully help you educate your dog and have a better relationship so the two of you feel like you're on par with each other. So you have a better form of communication. Yeah. And then I'm done. Yeah. If we never see each other again from this day and you guys live happily ever after, I can sleep soundly in my bed. I think that's the goal of every master coach is to make themselves redundant. Yes, absolutely. With that in mind, when I'm talking about this story, I'm not saying that 
my migration over was a failure. In a lot of ways, it was a huge success. But for me, I also felt like I really couldn't do everything that I needed to do without going back to being a balanced trainer. Mm -hmm. And I don't regret that decision either. I'm a better balanced trainer now because I'm truly representing proper balance now, not a form of balance that was convenient at the time. The issue for us when we've been on the show and when we've talked to people and we've talked to other plus R trainers is balance can be so poorly represented, but plus R training can be so poorly represented as well. Yeah, We've kind of found that we are really like the people who around the world who are enlightened about this, we're the outliers. Like we're the people that have congregated in the middle to realize that, you know, the masses who are talking plus R and are talking balance training there's an enormous amount of them who just will never agree with each other and just lie on the outside. But there's a cool group of people in the middle who are now talking to each other, who are now being inclusive and saying, we get that you want to do this, but just don't be a... Mm. Ricky Gervais said it so well, and I totally agree on that, is just don't be that type of person who is fucking things up for the rest of the world and for dogs. Predominantly, you're representative of upskilling. And that's what people have to understand. You're a representative of upskilling in general. And that's what we're trying to do. We've talked a a lot in the past about dogs being crushed. And I would say that there are dogs that I've crushed before. You know, Mm. like I've been too quick, as I said before, to reach for the tools, too expressive to dominate, to push my will on the dog. Whereas now I understand I don't need to do that. Somebody asked me about Macho the other day and said, how come he doesn't know anything? Like he doesn't sit or he doesn't drop or anything like that. And I said, because I want him to be free and expressive for the moment and then I'll layer it in later on. Yeah, yeah. I just want him to be a cheeky little bastard now. Like he can do whatever he wants. And they said, yeah, but that means that you're going to have to put more pressure on him. I said, it doesn't mean that I have to put a hell of a lot of pressure on him. It just means that I've got more to cut off now rather than trying to trim it back way too early when he's a, a puppy because I want him to be an expressive little bastard and everything that needs to come out, I want it to come out without me sitting there and saying, no, no, don't do this, don't do that. I have my ways, like I have my reasons for doing it. And other people will disagree with me. That's fine. And they can, they're welcome to. Other people say, look, you should be layering in from very young puppies up until adulthood. I don't disagree with them. They've got their way of doing Mm -hmm. things as well. Yeah, they all work. They all work. There's a lot to unpack there. And I want to I want to get back to that group identity piece because mm. obviously that's a huge part of what I want to talk about. Sure. There's a really interesting saying, you know, like a lot of people claim to be peaceful, right? And you can only actually be peaceful if you're capable of being violent, yep. right? Because if you're not capable of being violent, you're not being peaceful. You're just, a har- you're just harmless. Yeah. Right? And so it's a choice. You have to be sort of know both to choose which one you're going to be. And- I think that's what we sometimes see when we're talking about the different groups, whether we're talking group identities or just training methodologies, mm. you know, plain and simple, is that you can only know that your system is the right fit for you if you actually understand the other. And I think that sometimes we face arguments with people who are trying to argue something that you've already deeply considered mm. because you yeah, for me, I can't speak for anyone else, but like I am not haphazard in anything I do with the dog, right? Certainly or I was. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You're not an irresponsible haphazard person. Yeah, so like mm. I am, I deeply consider everything mm. that I'm going to do. 
and more so now than ever, because I do so much meditation and that's what I focus on is, you know, like the, you know, this is my job now to think about this kind of stuff on a really deep level. Mm. And I had a conversation which kind of triggered all of this was I got accosted by a lady in the dog park yes. uh, for using a prong collar. Recently? She was, yeah, yeah, mm. like last week. Yeah, okay. And she was real. oh, it might have been two weeks ago, but she was really, she was having a crack at me about prong collars and told me I needed to educate myself. Boy, did her life change that day. Well, I was, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I'm not confrontational, right? Like yeah. I wanted to sort of, I, I was happy to have the conversation. She wanted a confrontation and I wasn't interested in giving it to her. And she was telling me that, you know, it was a barbaric tool and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. But like, we, you, you're seeing me. It was my dog that I was training. It was Remy. I was like, you're seeing him. Like, you can't tell me that he is not well-trained for starters. Your mm. dog's over there barking around in circles. But I got one of those two Valerie's here. So like, let's not cast judgment there, yep. right? But I was like, you see his attitude. His ears are up. His tail's coiled like a scorpion. You're watching me use the prong collar and I'm fixing minor head position type stuff with it. It's not like I'm cranking him around the field with it. Like you see that, right? And she kept insisting that I needed to educate myself. I was like, okay, but like, where should I start? Tell me about where I should start. And you couldn't have written the script. It couldn't have been better when she's like, you need to look up a guy called Ian Dunbar and that's what you need to look into. And I was like, oh, you mean this Ian Dunbar? And I get out my phone and I show a photo of me and Ian Dunbar smoking cigars together. Yep. And I'm like, is this the guy you're talking about? Because like, I'm aware of, he was the first person I deeply studied in dog training. Mm -hmm. I was a huge fan of his. I got to meet him in person. It was a huge deal for me. He's been on my podcast. In fact, if you like, we can call him now. I have his personal phone number. It's not for lack of education in positive reinforcement that I'm not using it to fix my dog's head position. I assure you, I'm deeply considered on why I'm doing this. And then I was like, so who else should we go after? And, and unfortunately she stormed off in a half because I was hoping that she'd throw out some other big names in the plus R world. Mm. And I'd be happy to say, because chances are I've either been a student of theirs, like I've done their online course or I've done something or I've spoken to them or chances are I can show you the message history here of where I've had, you know, quite detailed discussions with them and sought their advice on certain things and how to tackle things. Yep. So- The reason I'm doing this and I've chosen this path to train my dog is not for lack of knowledge about other ways to do it. Yeah. It's because for me and my dog, I have chosen this as the way to train. And that's in this snapshot that you're looking at here right now, that's the way things have gone. Mm. Uh, And if you look tomorrow- or if you come to a a client session with me or, you know, any of the other many and various interactions I have with dogs, you'll see a different snapshot because it's a different circumstance. The dog is different. The training is different. And I said to her at the time, you know, I was like, that's also my dog as Valerie's just running around in circles. And I was like, I don't even own a flat collar for her. I don't even own a collar that will fit her. When we did the GRC SR1, I had to borrow a flat collar off someone to put her on a leash because we only go, I only take her to off leash areas. We get out of the car, she runs around. And when I get back to the car, she's there waiting for me. Yep. Right. And in fact, I signed a contract when I got her to say that I would never use an electric collar on her. Cause I was like, Oh, don't plan on it. Right. So <laughs> like it's not for lack of information. And I think 
sometimes when people get really heavily attached to an idea, it can be for lack of information. Mm. And I think that that I think is always worth considering. And it's not that people are necessarily ignorant of the information, uh, not willfully ignorant, right? Like it's not like they're blocking that information. There are people that do for sure, Mm. right? But it was just like, oh, I've been told that that's bad and by, you know, whatever click I'm in and that what we're doing is good. And so it's really hard to look at me doing it and acknowledge that it's okay, right? And I was like, but yeah, as I said to her at the time, I was like, I'm going to need the evidence that tells me what I'm doing is wrong. Mm. And she tried to tell me they were illegal. And I was like, that's flat out not true, right? Because it was just after that thing about the import stuff. And I was like, yeah, they're illegal to import. I didn't import it, right? But I'm using it and that's totally legal. And so like, you're going to have to give me some evidence. Like, here's the dog. And and I wanted to have that argument. I wanted to just clash heads. Like, that's where my first impulse was. Show me your fucking dog, right? Like, show us what you've got. Or good luck. Hand- you know, the line, and I've certainly said this in the past, like, good luck handling this dog without it, mm. right? But there's people that can, right? And it's not to say that my dog in someone else's hands couldn't be who he is without those tools, right? But with me, that's the level we found. You know, we've talked about this before. I shouldn't harp on it too much, but when people want to tell me that a prong collar can make a dog aggressive and all these kinds of things, when you talk electrics, all the things that people say, this is what will happen. I promise you, you're not giving me any new information. Mm. And if you are, I'll thank you. But it is fucking unlikely that a random person who sees me training my dog is going to drop any knowledge bombs on me that I haven't already deeply considered. Yeah, that's right. right? And I have sought out the experts on, you know, balance trainers and force-free trainers and everything, and I have, I'm not done. I'm continuing to evolve. Every day I'm trying to learn more, and I, I do. Every interaction with a dog, even my own dogs, is a learning moment. The other night me and Remy played this game. I tried to film it. I've got the footage. I'm not sure what to do with it, but it was towards the end of the game where – I'm not even sure of the rules. The reason I wanted to film it was because I knew what we were doing. I'm not sure what the outcome of the game was. We're kind of playing bull rush in my garage. The way it started was we'd been out. Every night I take him out to go pee out on the, in the park thing. When I say park, I mean the school car park near me, right? Yep. Uh, <laughs> I'll be, let's, let's be truthful yep. here. And he found a ball because like a kid's ball had gone into there, like a soccer ball, and he'd crushed it. Yep. And so he didn't want to go back in the house. He wanted to continue wrecking this ball. So he was at the one end of my garage, the big common area sort of space, and I was at the other, and he like gave me a refusal. Like he's like, nah, I'm, I'm staying down here. So I stopped and I kind of stalked him a little bit. Like I kind of, like you would do kind of civil work, like yep. I, I kind of arm hand out kind of like I was going to sneak up on him. And then he was like, oh, you don't do that shit to me. And I did it on purpose because I knew he'd rush me. Yep. But I ran past him, right? Like instead of letting him run into me, I just ran past him and I ran to the other end of the garage. So now we're like roles reversed. And then he ran past and we ran past each other again. And we must've done that 20 times of like sprinting past each other. We would miss each other just narrowly. And every now and again, like I'd hit the ball as he went past me and then we'd stop and we'd rest and I'd stare at him. And then me or him, it was different sort of every time would rush the other and we just run past and reset. And I, I remember as I was, I was exhausted cause it was hard work <laughs> and I'd just <laughs> eaten dinner. I was like, man, what are we doing here? But he was loving it and I was loving it. I was having this wonderful time. 
That's what you're doing. Yeah, we're just having a good time. There was no outcomes. You're loving on the moment. Yeah, Yeah. there was no outcomes. And then I waited when he had a rest. I Mm. grabbed my camera because my camera was in the car. I grabbed it and set it up, but I only caught the last few reps and I didn't want to interrupt the game. But so like I say, the, the reason I tell that story is like, I then spent sort of two hours afterwards trying to figure out like what was his, he was playing a game. Mm. Who was the winner? Right. Like, and. Is it about a winner? Yeah. Well, I mean, there has to be, if there's a game, like we've, there's got to be like, there was a back and forth. And what I was really trying to figure out was like, what were the rules? Cause we both intuitively got them. Right. But what were they? Like if I had to write them down and say the game we were just playing, the rules were this, and this is how we were playing it. I, I fuck knows how I could Well, it's done hard that. to do that based on perspective, right? Yeah. That's one of the things is sometimes the winner is both of you. Like the winner is being a part of the experience, being yeah. a part of the game. Yeah. And like it's it's fascinating when you see, you know, like I'll take Rip to the, the, the park and you see two random kids who don't know each other. They have to, in order to play, they have to agree on a set of terms under which they're going to play. And they're playing like an imaginary game. And like he was playing with this little girl on the weekend and they were making a a potion because they found a half drunk slurpy thing (laughs) and they were just filling it with junk and messing around. But like they had to agree on what was going on here, right? And they reset the game a few times because they filled the cup and then they poured it out and then had to restart. And every time it had like a different ratio of stuff that they were putting back in to make this magic potion, right? Yeah. And no one said, let's play the game of make a magic potion. Those words never got said, but they were just kind of fluid back and forth. And they got along really well because they had interpreted the game similarly, Mm. right? Like they had just were both happy playing that same game. And that's what happened with me and my dog. And I'd like, if I had said to Rip on that day, like, what are you guys doing specifically? And what's your involvement versus her involvement in the creation of this potion? I don't think he could have answered in the same way that I couldn't, say what I was doing with my dog. But do you think that's just the rules of collaboration? Probably, yeah. Because I I find that sometimes there, I mean, sometimes there are things that you do in life, business, friendships, relationships, which are based on you exercising your will. Even if you're covertly allowing the other person to feel like they've got power over it, it's something that you have suggestively layered in. Yeah. Where there are other times where you just think, fuck it, I just, I'm, just happy to be part of the experience. I'm yeah. like, I'm just happy to be in this group of people enjoying or, the, you know, this person and I or this dog and I and happy to enjoy the moment. Yeah. Like sometimes I just don't feel like everything has to be a nefarious outcome where no, no, but somebody's winning and somebody's losing. No, that's right. But I just, well, my point initially was that I, for a long time afterwards, after just a random little 20-minute interaction with my dog, spent hours yep. thinking about it, right? So, okay, I see where you're going. When I say this is what I do with my dog, it's not for lack of knowledge of what else to do. Now, I, I'm not saying I know everything, not by a fucking long shot. Like I have so much more to learn. But you like unpacking things. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. but I really, I think about stuff and I seek out the knowledge. Yeah. And so on that topic of, you know, why do you train the way that you do? And I've changed courses many times. It's for a couple of reasons. And it's because like I only want to be good at what I do and- the experience of the dog is important to me, right? Like I can, you know, I can crush a dog like anyone else. Right? Mm. I know how to do that. And there's times that I have, and there's times that I perhaps will again, depending on the circumstances. Like for me, nothing is off the table. Being effective and the experience of the dog being the best I can manage is what's important to me, mm. right? So that's my core principles. Being effective is number one. 
Well, a measure of being effective is the experience of the dog being the best that I can possibly achieve. Yep. That Those two are the same thing to me. Yep. But that's all that's important to me. It, how I go about it, I'm really super open to new information. But in order for me to change my mind, I need that new information. I have to seek it out. Mm. And that's where I wanted to talk about that group identity piece is because a part of when you belong to a group that does something in a particular way, I feel like there's two downsides to that. There's so many positive outcomes, right? There's so many good things about the group identities. And I think as people, we seek them out so much, right? Like, because it's such a comfortable place to be in a nice, safe group where everybody thinks along the same lines as you, mm. right? But the problem with that is it can be really difficult to look out because now a different group is the other. Yep. Right. Form tribes. Yeah. Mm. So maybe I'm really interested in what that other tribe has got going on. But if I were to go to that tribe, that makes me a betrayer of my current tribe. Mm. And I, I don't think it does, but that's how there's a deep core feel about that. Mm. And I think that sometimes within the tribe that you're in, if you were to look at another one and go, hey, turns out they're being effective, guys. Like I, I can see the results of what they're putting out and I like it. Your tribe can be like, hey, fuck you. Like, are you betraying us? Are you going to over there? And certainly that has happened to me in my life. In my previous careers and in this one, you can be in a group and it's kind of forbidden to look out. Not not necessarily expressly forbidden. Certainly there are groups within dog training that is expressly forbidden, like we were talking about earlier. Mm. But for the most part, it's just kind of an unsung like, no, we're this group and that's that group and you don't cross groups and you can leave and join that group, but then don't come back. Mm. And where I'm at in my life, I'm kind of more like, can't I be in both groups guys? <laughs> Cause I like the way you guys do some stuff and I like some of the stuff that happens over here. Maybe I could just be in neither group. Maybe yep. I could just be a little visitor of both. Right. So there's that. That's one of the problems of group identities, not being allowed to look at the other. But the biggest problem I think with group identities, especially in the dog training space, is when someone from within your group does something that is either outside the core of the group, right? Like, or that just doesn't sit with you. And then you're in a dangerous place of where you either have to defend them in order to defend the group or say that you don't agree with what they did and then risk you being removed from the group. Mm. And it just creates this like an un either way you're in bad shape. Like you have to follow your morals, right? But either way it's going to be a negative outcome for you. Mm. And so that's what I think is the issue with group identity and that it makes it really hard to change. That has been my experience. And so that's why for me like I am trying to keep my group identity to just people who are effective and the experience of the dog is of the utmost importance to them. Yep. Right. And when that's my group, that allows me to talk to and learn from the best yep. across disciplines, even non-dog trainers. Nothing's off the table. No, nothing. As long mm. as, you know, what more do you need than effective and the experience of the dog being important in that journey? Everything then is open and available to me. Mm. Listening to you talking about your experiences in most of that, jogged up something in my memory about a conversation I had with the plus R group that I was at the time. They didn't call themselves plus R then. They were positive trainers, you know, and this was the the new rage in training. And it came from Karen Pryor's methodology, you know, clicker training and everything like that. 
I think it was so new that there was a lot of experimentation going on and a lot of purity that had to be considered. And I remember having a discussion. We were having um, a dinner at one of the ladies' houses one night. There was probably about 20 people there. It was a big gathering. So we were all chatting away and people were very, always very interested in my background. They always wanted to talk to me about it. It was like I was the new toy and, yeah. you know, people wanted to poke and prod at me to basically say, so what do you think about this? And I remember having a discussion where it was an interesting discussion because I could see the turn of minds, but I could also feel the disdain of the elders of the group when we were having a talk about guidance training, compulsion training. So they were talking to me about this and they were saying, oh, you wouldn't do this anymore, would you, Glenn? You wouldn't do that anymore. And I said, well, based on the principles that I've agreed not to, I won't. However, we were talking about guidance, okay, like guiding a dog into a position, physically putting your hands on, like we do in the NDTF. We show both methodologies, the plus R side of it and also the compulsion side of it. Effectively, what we basically do is hold the dog by the collar, give the dog the command, and then roll the dog into a sit position and then wait for relaxed compliance, mark the behavior and let the dog get up and move around. So we were talking about that, that key exercise. And they said to me, oh, that is such an outdated way to do it. And I said, well, when you go to the vet, the vet doesn't allow you to have your moment to spend half an hour to, you know, lure your dog up onto the table, if at all. They literally pick the dog up, they place it in whatever position they needed to be in for the examination to go ahead. And I know that there are vets now that are more patient and, you know, I think there's a term going out there called fear-free, mm-hmm. which technically I don't agree with because I just don't believe that experience can exist, that the dog is entirely without fear during mm-hmm. examination. I think if you said reduced fear, I would agree with you. However, I could feel the heat and the eyes setting upon me during that discussion. Like no one said it to me, but I could almost feel the hands coming up saying, no, 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 we don't discuss this here because other people were very interested in it and they wanted to talk about it further because they were questioning me more and more. And I knew the conversation kept wanting to be turned around. Like, you know, let's not talk about this. However, because I was putting a good argument up in the conversation about, you know, dogs going to groomers and dogs going to vets, We were always discussing you can't avoid the guidance compulsion-based exercises in that. And what I was saying to them to justify my cause in this is that I felt that puppies should be exposed to mild levels of compulsion at young ages so they understand it's okay and I can control what's happening here and I don't have to be frightened of it. Mm -hmm. Like if people are manipulating me and picking me up, I don't have to scream. I don't have to have a tantrum. I don't have to try and control the outcomes through, you know, like my own internal aversives. Just go with it. Go with it. You're in safe hands. I'm in safe hands. I'm, I'm okay. I'm being managed carefully. They were saying to me, oh, yeah, but you can do this through luring the dog. You can do this through. And I said, I'm not saying you can't because I don't understand enough about it. And that's what I'm hopefully going to learn from this group of people. But I can't ignore that this worked because I saw it work and I saw the convenience behind it. So I can't lie about something that I did see work. And I said, I have agreed not to do it based on being included in this group, but I can't say it doesn't work. And I said, because then I would be lying. And I said, I just don't feel like it would be convenient to sit here in a group of people and lie about it. So That also made me feel like an outsider in the group because I would never completely wash over to the other side without coming up with a contingency on the discussion that was at hand at the time. Like I said to them, if you can show me, like if you can physically show me where 
this doesn't take place in a vet or a groomer. And I said, because they're always the ones that I'm thinking about because every time I've seen them manage dogs, they literally have to pick them up and they have to put them in a position that the dog is not entirely comfortable with at the time. Like there was never the topic of consent back then. That never came up. That mm-hmm. This is a new addition in the last 10 years of training. But during that time, that was never discussed. But there's no consent. There's no consent in those time. It's pick the dog up, put it on the table, stick a thermometer in its bum. Yep. There's no vet in the world that says to the dog, are you okay? Well, if they might say it. They might say it. Okay, yeah, yeah. so I'm not going to outrule that. But there's no vet that I know of who can successfully get the dog to give them the thumbs up for having a thermometer in its ass. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. And when that tail shuts like a trap door across its asshole, yeah. it's just getting lifted up. Correct. <laughs> so- I mean, I understand that the dog needs the thermometer there. Like, I'm down with that. I understand yeah. all that needs to take place. But don't try and bullshit a bullshitter. I cannot grasp that, and I never could. And again, you know, that always made me feel like I'm never really going to be included in this group. I'm always going to be that that has the independent thought on the side. So I never really fit in. I was always the outlier of the group. I was always the one... And again, it was nice that people were interested at me, and but I always felt like I was poked at, like I was, you know, like a, a being from another planet. Like they were more curious about that I was so different to them that I wasn't a complete changeover. So to change out of it wasn't difficult at all. It was kind of like I've had my, my mm. stint with this. I just need to move over. But again, to exercise the caveat that I put in place before, I did learn a lot. I felt that it did... It made me better. My shaping skills, my timing skills were all much better because of those people. Oh, totally. Yeah. So I'm giving them absolute credit and kudos for that because, you know, my, like my timing and my understanding of, of how to, you know, like even how to get acquisition of a clicker, it was so much better. I felt that I was pretty good before, but I think I was using an axe before and they turned that into a scalpel for me. So I really transformed that side of my understanding and my integrity and that style of training. Mm. So there was nothing lost in that time. It was just that I was drifting in free space. I found a group that I felt like I could feel a part of something again. And I had a good time during the time. No regrets. I want to just circle back to that conversation you're having with a lady in the park where she said, you need to educate yourself on this. Yeah. I feel that when people make those claims, they themselves should be educated to come up to you and be that ostentatious to make that claim. Like she should have some form of institutional knowledge to have the audacity to stop you in the street and then make those claims to you. Like she should be able to say to you, okay, what's your name? You say, Pat. And she says, all right, Pat, I've got a a list of scientific proven facts here that I want to give to you. Rather than just say you should educate yourself, like where's her education to tell you that you shouldn't do it? Yeah. But so what we sometimes see, because I get heat on, now that I'm, I've got a bunch of stuff on YouTube, that's where the, the shit talking goes down, right? And yep. there's people that harass me there and always under a pseudonym, right? Like yep. It's never an actual person. So I, ne- I never engage. Like I, I, I've had enough bad experiences online that I never, ever engage with people under who are, pseudonyms. Who are fakes. Yep. I just don't do it because there's just no point, yep. right? You just don't know who you're talking to. It's pointless. Yep. I'm not getting in that. Yeah. You know, I get people saying like, you need to educate yourself. Science says. I'm like, okay, like, but which? Because- like I read a lot of them. I yeah. get emails every day. I'm subscribed to a lot of different peer review thingos, you know, that like send the emails. This is, you, you set the topics yeah. of what you're interested in. They send you the emails of this study came out and 
every week I get an update and I go in and check if there's anything that's relevant to me and I have a read. So like, you're going to need to tell me more than just science, like, because <laughs> science is a lot of shit, right? Like, so we're going to, I'm going to need, tell me about which paper and I'll, I'll let you know whether I've read it and we, let's talk about, you know, how relevant it is to this topic here. And I think the issue that we always face is that, of course, there's like, I can use an e-collar or a prong collar or whatever to do all the things that people say will, you know, the evidence that they rely on for that kind of stuff to say that you shouldn't use it is in a non-contingent use. And so I'm like, I'm down. I'm a hundred percent. Like, mm. absolutely. If you just put an e-collar or a prong collar on a dog and for like no reason that the dog can discern, apply pressure and give the dog no way to escape and or avoid it, of course you're going to fuck up the dog. Yep. But that's not what we're doing here. Right. And I challenge you to show me a paper where it was used in a contingent fashion and tell me about how it didn't work. And of course there's potential to fall out and there's consequences and there's side effects to everything, but that's on both sides of it. That entails everything. And so like I have spent a lot of time and energy and effort understanding all those things Mm. to get to the point where this is how I feel comfortable and effective achieving my primary goals of being effective and the experience of the dog being pleasurable. Yep. Right. So I think that is the issue. And so it's the Dunning-Kruger effect in full force where people are trying to change your mind Mm. And I think like in that space, I am really open to having my mind changed. And, of course. And, and I like that's a conscious effort because I think for the most part, people are not, right? Yep. And certainly in the past, I have not been. And I think sometimes, you know, there's evidence that suggests that when you show when people are wrong about things, just showing them facts that is counter to them actually strengthens their wrong position rather than, you know, having them. It, come isn't around, it incredible right? how that works? Yeah. And so being aware of that, I try really hard to not fall into that trap. Yeah. But I think that's what ends up happening a lot when people, you do have the argument, the back and forth Mm. and all they end up doing, like no one's actually listening to anybody. They just are like, I have a turn at saying a bunch of stuff and then you have a turn at saying a bunch of stuff. Right. And we just go back and forth like that. Nobody's actually considering anybody's point of view. And I think when you are trying to change someone's mind, if that's important to you and, you know, consider why it is, but letting them actually give out their whole, hit me with your evidence mm. and let's discuss it rather than just telling me to to read a paper because like, let's read it together. Let's discuss the parts of that and let's see whether it really does support your argument or if in fact it maybe supports mine mm. and we can work through that together. And if at the end we agree to disagree, then at least we've gone through that, right? Whereas otherwise it's just like, we're just throwing shit at a wall and hoping that it sticks, right? It's We're not going to get anywhere. But so that's where I wanted to then with this conversation kind of lead that into changing a dog's mind, right? Because I think when a dog decides on something, how you change its mind, all the principles that we know about human brain and, you know, that group identity and that cognitive dissonance of in spite of being shown something over and over and over, if it's in a confrontational manner, it only strengthens your position and that kind of stuff. And so I wanted to talk about, you know, like fixing, say, you know, the way you might fix a behavior, like a sit down, heel, that kind of stuff would be by showing that weight of evidence, right? Like in a, like an operant fashion. So the dog, you know, doesn't heal correctly or, you know, his head's in the wrong position, we can go like, hey, here's some pressure out of that position. Here's reinforcement 
in the right position. And so it becomes a clear choice to the dog. It's like, mm. ah, okay, because no dog is convinced that healing goes a particular way at the core of his being. Yep. Right? Like he doesn't give a fuck at that point. He's like, I just want the reinforcer. Yep. And if I'm forging in the healing, it's because I'm trying to get closer to the reinforcer. So you just go like, oh, well, that doesn't get you closer. In fact, it gets you further away. And the mm. dog will be like, oh, well, fuck forging. I never wanted to do that. That's not the core of my, you know, my very essence healing correctly doesn't appear to keep me alive. So like I'll change however, I'll do it however the fuck you want. Just show me the reinforcers, right? So that easy peasy, lemon squeezy. But then when we try and apply that to something that the dog really does think is at the core of his existence and it doesn't work. And we're like, no, but this works, right? Because when I was trying to convince you to sit correctly, you know, we spoke, uh, was it last week or the week before at length about how we use a variable reinforcement schedule and all these kinds of things to make it clear to the dog what is necessary. And right. And we might show the dog, Hey, you're wrong about that. That doesn't lead to reinforcement in the way that you thought you're going to have to try something else or a better version of that. And then it does. And the dog's really malleable. Like he's like, Oh yeah, got it. But then something that really is at the core of that dog's being, like, you know, fulfilling his genetic desires. I was, go- I was just about to say, like, we've just done a whole episode on being a slave to your genetics. Yeah. So fulfilling those genetic mm. desires or yep. something that's really heavily imprinted, like a fear of another dog or something like that. Yeah. That's where that operant model kind of falls over. And we need to go to the group identity type thing where we can say to the dog, what we see is in the healing and the, you know, the, the monkey tricks, we can just be like, no, that's wrong. This is right. And the dog goes, yeah, got it. Sweet. Mm. Right. Happy to learn that way. I changed my mind, changed my mind about what I think healing is. But when the dog's a dog aggressive because he's had a bad experience and he thinks he genuinely thinks I'm alive because I'm scaring that other dog away, that reductionist and operant method is not going to change that dog's mind. Right. Or it may, but it's going to take, it's going to be a long burn and it's going to be much less effective then we can solicit what we just discussed at length about the group identities in people. We can show to the dog like, hey, me and you are a team mm. and I have no problem with this guy. It's still got to be operant in a form. Yeah. Does, yeah. Like you said, it just isn't operant in maybe your current knowledge. Yeah. I'm with you. You still are using operant condition. You're yep. still changing the dog's mind via an yep. operant process, but it's not. it's a much more complex and, Absolutely. And thought out process yes. than like, no, the presence of that dog guarantees positive reinforcement. Because the dog can be like, okay, like that's a fact. That's yep. a given. The other dog walking in on me means you will click and I will get food, right? Like that's a given. But that dog could still kill me. Yep. Like that's still a thing. And even though you're telling me guarantee it's a fact that I will get food every time, that isn't a guarantee that you're going to change the way the dog feels about that and he might look like he's changed how he feels because he anticipates the food, mm. but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to actually feel any different. And that's where I think that we can go into the what we know to be a trap in human group identity type stuff. And we go, no, he's one of us. He's cool. And I say so. Like, here's me. I will lead by example. I will show you that this dog is fine. Here I am interacting with this dog. I'm going to model for you how you could interact if and when you're ready to. Mm. And we use... To change that dog's mind, we use all those social pressures and things that we just talked about, uh, shitty human behaviors that we do to each other. We know that we need to pick up that template and now do it to the dog in that situation and go like, hey, there's no, this is fine, right? Like, and he's one of us. He's part of the group. Mm. Let him into the group. We need him. We like him, that kind of thing. So I think it's complex, man. It is very complex. And considering when you're talking about, there is a difference and a variation between 
the burden of cognition that humans have compared to dogs. Like you do, you analyze things till the cows come home. And we all do that to a degree. You know, there are certain topics and subject matter that we sit with for a time and you go through so many variables and so many, you know, it's kind of like um, when there are, what do you call it? When there are alternate worlds that are existing in the same place, but you, they're sort of out of phase with each other. Mm, like a multiverse. Like the multiverse. Yeah. And sometimes you do, like you create a multiverse in your brain where you're thinking about, you know, all these different timelines and how things could be impacted or how it could impinge your life differently if only this happened or if only I said that or only if I stepped here or stepped there or did this or said that or I was wearing a different thing or this person didn't meet that person. Like that burden exists in all of us and I think dogs are free of that. You know, I'm speaking somewhat ignorantly because I don't entirely know what the thinking process rattles around inside a dog's head but I feel that their life is a little bit more blissful than ours because they're not impacted on that they yeah. they sort of live more in the moment than around what happened then or what ha- what's going to happen in the future however again i'm saying that's ignorance on my path i know they're intelligent i know they think i know they can problem solve and i know that they have their own cognition but i still think that they're less burdened than we are about it mm. however you know when you're talking about subject matter that you're talking about now we're talking about the same principles of people who are inflicted with some form of mental illness sometimes mm. where they really need time, guidance and mentoring by a suitable professional to be able to help exercise that problem out for them so they can literally sit with it and they can come to terms by themselves. Exactly. That this is the best outcome for me now. I didn't believe it was before because I just didn't believe it. Yeah. It felt safe to feel like this. Yeah. Even though it was impacting my life incredibly and I felt miserable and sad and I didn't truly understand it, but now I feel comfortable to play with it a little bit more and to be a little bit more free with it. And, you know, what I believed before doesn't in fact really exist in this space anymore. Yeah. And I mean, I'm speaking with some experience here because I've had it happen to me where, you know, like my world turned upside down mm-hmm. and I couldn't fucking control anything. Yep. I was out of control, but with patient people and the right people, the professionals that I needed at the time, I was able to see that the thoughts that I was having and the feelings that I was having at the time weren't correct. Now, I don't think I was, I'd be able to solve that problem on my own. As trainers, I think that's what we're here for is we're here as good shepherds to guide our flock properly. Exactly. Mm. So when someone has a crack at me online, because I've got a video about a balanced trainer's approach to dealing with dog aggression, and they're like, you just counter condition, you only need the treats and you see the dog and you click and you change the dog's mind. It's like, okay, you're at level one, (laughs) right? Yeah. Like- I have got a whole process going on here where I am showing the dog, I am trying to radically change his thought process and you are trying to explain Pavlov to me. And I can tell you, like, it's more complex than that. Let me tell you. So Valerie hates being washed, hates it, fucking hates it, loves being dried. No amount of being dried after being washed will make her like being washed. Yep. You know what I mean? So like Pavlov would say, no. Eventually, counter conditioning will take effect. If every time I wash her, I dry her, and she fucking loves being dry. So, like one of her favorite things. But how old is she now? Nearly eight years old. And it still hasn't worked. And do you know how I get her to, you know, how I wash her without her like hating it? Because, like, I can just force her. Mm. Like, I can do that. But you know how I do it? Get her to play with the water. Uh, well, so that's, I can do that. Yeah. I can just hose her and she gets wet. But, yeah. like, to actually scrub her down and wash her, 
I'd bring her in the shower with me. Yep. And she'll accept that because yep. she's like, we're in this together. Yeah. Right? Like I'll take this because you. It's part of the group. Yeah. Mm. Part of being with you is you've invited me into the, like I literally just bring her in the shower. Mm. Right. And she just has a shower with me and I wash her while she's in there. And then she gets dried afterwards and I can, I can ask her, Hey, I can show her the towel. Cause you know, you got the dog towels. You know, the dogs always know when the dog towel comes out, they're like, ah, what the fuck? Right. Yeah. Like are we, there's a bunch of things that can happen here. Are we going to the beach or are we just getting washed? Like what's <laughs> happening? Right. And you see that like trepidation. They're like, yep. what the fuck? What's going to happen? The dog towels are out. Right. This could be the best or the worst thing ever. Yep. And I can show the dog towel to her and I'm like, come on, let's go upstairs. And she'll like reluctantly walk up the stairs. But if I show the dog towel to her and I take it to the hose, she's like, fuck you. Right. And runs and hides and like hides under stuff to the point where I would have to drag her out. So I don't. Right. Mm. But like, that's what I feel like when people say to me like, oh, you're just doing that because you're an idiot and you don't know how and all you need is classical conditioning that like, you know, that's how you counter condition. I'm like, okay, thanks kindergarten kid. Like- <laughs> You know, on the flip side of that comment, there's times where people have brought dogs to me and the consult is it's an aggressive dog and they want me to have a look at the dog and confirm it's aggressive and go about a procedure to fix the issue. When they brought the dog in, the dog's not really aggressive, but to them it is. And I understand that. Yeah. Like years ago, I probably would have smirked at that. Now I understand it is aggressive to you. This is what you understand as aggression. Like in the past, I've probably made naive and probably insulting comments like, oh, that's not aggressive, you know, because I've seen some fucking monsters before, like dogs that are fabled as- Yeah, killers. Yeah, like real aggression. Yeah. But like I said, to them and the experience that this person is having with you online, to them, they're at level one. Yeah. You know, and this aggression that I'm seeing with the people is level one aggression. And there's a horrible scale that gets right out of control with that. But when you look at it, you've got to understand that their limitations of knowledge and experience has led them to that outcome. Yeah, totally. That belief system. That's right. And it's very frustrating for us. And meeting them head on in an argument is it's not, not going to help. Achieve. It's yeah. absolutely not. Because I used to think that I could change their mind with that mindset, but you're absolutely right. I think the best way to do it is just accept that those people are going to be out there. And for you to live an unburdened life is to get past that. Because, like, I read something a while ago where somebody was saying that, you know, like, I contradict myself all the time on the podcast. No shit. I'm a fu- I've always maintained to everybody that I'm a guy with a pocket full of rocks living in a glass house. Yeah. Like, I'm allowed to change my mind about things. I'm not set in stone anymore. Like, I'm a free-flowing motherfucker. If, if I want to change my mind on something, I will change my mind on something. Yeah. But that's helping me unburden myself. That's helping me live a more freer lifestyle that I'm, you know, like, I don't have to be fixed. Like, I know that there are some hard and fast rules in life. There's just some things that you can't change, no matter how much you want to. But even those things are, might be set in stone, there's still a rule that I believe in in life is to bend is not to break. Mm. And that is, like, if there is flexibility in there and you can bend it, well, that good. That's fine. But sometimes things are far more rigid and you just have to accept, okay, currently that's how it is. Yeah. And I'm saying the word currently because like you could revisit it later on and those rules can change. But right now those rules are set in place and there's nothing I can do. That helps me feel liberated. That helps me allow my conscious to to move forward and allow me to experience growth in knowing that sometimes I just don't have all the answers, everything mm. that I need to have. And sometimes you're going to be criticized for things by people who are really, really ignorant people. Mm. Or just don't have the full context. Yeah. Like, but because that's, it's not but that's ignorance. To you're ignorant until you know. 
Yeah, but I think ignorant, like the technically the correct word. difference between willfully ignorant yeah, yeah. and ignorant. Yeah, it's the yeah. technically correct word, but it, it's a shit one to get hit with. Yeah. You know, like it's never comfortable when, even when you are ignorant of something in the terms of like, I didn't know, mm. it still doesn't feel nice to be called ignorant. You know, no, it, it's, like it sounds like an insult. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't, it needn't always be. But I, I accept be. that I'm ignorant of things. Like, yeah. you know, like if you, if you came to me now and said, I want to talk to you about rocket science, dude, I'm completely ignorant to that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you could call me ignorant and I would accept that as a. Yeah. But I mean, when you're talking dog training and stuff, like I just feel like. That's, that's emotion. It gets very emotional. Yeah. It, it can really put people on the back foot and mm. immediately when you go, hey, you're ignorant to this. And it's yeah. like, how dare you, sir. <laughs> It's like, no, I just mean you don't know, yeah. right? Like what I'm doing here. Yeah. And I think context is everything as well. Like sometimes you can be seen to be contradicting yourself because the context is different in what you're saying. Mm. Like, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago I put a video up and I said it, the opening little snippet of it, I said like, you know, it was about variable reinforcement and stuff. And, and I said, you know, of my dog, if you click and don't provide reinforcement, my dog will bite you. And someone was like, oh, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Show us, right? Show us the dog biting someone that after they click. And, and it's like- it's not literal. If you were there and you understood the context under, and that's my own fault for putting it out. So I'm not arguing it, but yep. like the context was for starters, it wouldn't be a click, but at the start of every seminar, I say, Hey, from here on out, when I say, instead of saying marker, I'm going to say clicker. Yep. And I had talked at length already about creating a reflect response. So with my own dog, if I give him his marker for the toy and the toy's not out, he'll bite me because he's expecting the toy to be there. Mm. So that's why it will happen. Not that like he's going to get so frustrated that if I don't provide food that he would bite me because that would be, you know, your relationship's fucked at that point. You've got an issue with your dog at that point. But what I mean is like if I give the marker and the, because he's the way that he re responds to it, he would be expecting that the toy is being delivered and would bite me in absence of the toy, right? Mm. Like at the hand or whatever, right? So it's like nobody was wrong in that circumstance. Like I just didn't provide enough because it's a snippet of something that I was saying. You in didn't a big provide the online evidence that people required. Well, there just wasn't the right context. And yep. it was just that little bit of information, if taken 100% literally, I'm right to be called, you know, be called out essentially. Mm. But it's like, oh man, that was just a, that's a line when in context has a different meaning. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, a big part of when we're changing our mind about people is like just explaining that kind of thing. Oh, this is what I mean in this moment, right? Like, oh, cool, got it. Rather than like this is a hard and fast thing that I'm wed to because I am wed to some stuff, right? Yeah. And, and I'll, you know, I'll fucking die on the, a couple of hills. There's a few hills that I'm willing to fucking. But that's what I'm saying. There are some hard and fast rules yeah. that they just make it very hard to change. But I feel that the best state of your mind to be in is a state of having a fluid mind. When you're open to being changed, when change is required. Yeah. When you can see that there is an evolution and it's prosperous to you and to the people around you and to the environment that you're in, then you really need to be in a state of acceptance for that mm -hmm. rather than just sticking to rigidity, which doesn't allow the inclusiveness that you so desire. Yeah. Well, and that's a, I think we should wrap up in a sec. That's the mm -hmm. last thing I want to say on that group identity. You know what I was saying? Like, I don't want to be in that group because the many reasons I look at another group what I really want is like, what about we make a bigger group? <laughs> like, what about That's we That's an go, ideal world, isn't it? What about we go, hey, you guys are like 99% the same as us. Mm. Well, what about we just join up, right? That would be cool. You know, in some ways, which I'm proud to say, there are some very good conversations that have taken place, probably more so this year than ever, where that has come a little closer. Yeah, I you think know, so. There have been more positive steps where people have come a little bit more closer. 
and not spent time trying to misinterpret each other. They've spent more time trying to understand each other and see that we're not so different and Mm. see that we can be more inclusive and understand that we can still have differences of opinion and be okay with that. Yeah. And I've really enjoyed seeing that migration pattern happen. I've really enjoyed seeing that, that people can still say, listen, like we've said before, you do you, I'll do me, but we can still talk to each other and we can still be very civil with each other. And if there's anything of benefit in the pool in the middle that we can dip in and share from, let's do that. Yeah, and that's the only way you can do that is by, you know, you need to understand where everybody's points is from their point of view yep. and not immediately fight back because once you, you go like, oh, no, we're arguing, now it's very difficult for me to agree with you on anything. Yeah. Right? So it's like, hey, let's chat and find out about what we agree on and then we can find our point of differences. It's better to know where we're together about things yeah. so that we, you know, we set the terms of we are people who discuss and get along, right? And it's the same in dog training. It's exactly what I want to do with the dog, right? I want it. That's a positive first approach, right? I want to be like, hey, we get along. We are mutually beneficial to each other. And at some point we'll find a point of divergence, yeah. but I want that to be further down the line. And that's going to happen with everybody in every conversation. You, unless you meet a clone of yourself, you're not going to agree on absolutely every topic. At some point there's going to be a point of divergence. And but we'll it doesn't go, have to be offensive. Yeah. Let's find out where that is and then just take a step back. And we're, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're good after that. Mm-hmm. Right. And every now and again, we can revisit that point of divergence and see like, oh, how do you feel about that? Have we convinced each other? Have any of the things that I do had a carryover effect? Right. No, okay, let's wind it back a little Mm. bit and stay within that comfortable zone. You know, one of the greatest pieces of advice that I've been given, and I share this as much as I possibly can, is don't listen with the intent to reply. Mm. When you get the opportunity to sit with somebody and listen to them, even if they're not making much sense, sometimes you just need to nod your head and say, okay, that's important to you. I get it. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. Exactly. Um, Rather than fight back, because there have been times, like in my youth, I look at things in my youth and it's great as an experience that you can look back on and call on, you know, those past experiences. But I look at things where I've just thought, oh man, I really wish I didn't spend that time arguing so passionately about something that wasn't that important. Yeah. You think you could have that time back, but you had to do that at the time. It was part of creating you. Like you became you because of those experiences and you, you know, like this awareness that I have now. And again, I'm not perfect in any way, shape or form. You know, like I'm a motherfucker that makes mistakes left, right and center. <laughs> but the good thing is, is that I'm, I'm still in a good space and a happier space that I learn from that. And I understand that there are times where I will be very rational and there are times where I will be irrational. But the one thing that I can count on is that I do have a good core group of people around me that will pull me up and I and feel safe to do so. And I understand that when they're doing that, it comes from a very strong place of love mm. that they're basically saying to me, you're being a dickhead. Mm. You know, like your stubbornness is preventing you from the very growth that you're suggesting other people experience and you're not allowing that to happen right now. Mm. And they're very right. You've been one of those people. Narelle's definitely one of those people. She is not afraid to tell me when I'm stepping out of line, which is good. Sometimes it might invoke a bit of heavy discussion, but it's still a discussion that needs to take place nonetheless. And I love her and respect her for it because she feels safe enough to say, you need to pull your fucking head in. Mm. Like today is not really a good day because you're stuck in a system where you just want to be right, where that's not really the right outcome. Mm. There's that meme that says, the fact that I love you doesn't mean that I'll always agree with you. Yeah. The fact that I love you 
means that I will support you. Yes. But I don't necessarily have to agree with you. Mm. And sometimes that support can be helping you get it right. And that can be very uncomfortable. Yeah. The one thing I, I don't want to be surrounded in life is surrounded by yes people. Mm. I, I want to be surrounded by free thinking, independent people. And this doesn't mean I want to be involved with a bunch of arguers. I just want to be involved with a bunch of people who are considerate of all the facts, you know, because sometimes that helps me when I'm in a dark place and I'm being a prick and I'm not thinking about things objectively that I, I can sit with people and say, you know, like, here's some information. You probably need to read this or you probably need to be aware of this because independent of this discussion, you haven't been. Mm-hmm. I do think that's a, an important part of changing your mind. I, I love the fact that we can have conversations like this. You know, I love the fact that the people who've been listening to our show have been able to change their minds as well. Like we are getting feedback from people who have said, I have been able to change my mind because of you guys, you know, mm-hmm. like listening to what you're talking about and being open that you guys have been fuck ups with things in the past. Like you've expressly said, I'm not perfect. How many times have we had people write back to the show saying, that they've been training with a person or a group of people who have stuck to their convictions. Like you have to listen to us and you have to do what I'm saying because I'm the guru of all knowledge. Yeah, I did feel like that at the one time, but that's a lonely place to be in. And, you know, like you're never really, you're not in service of anybody when you're doing that. And this is a service industry, like we're providing a service and that's not a good service to be providing people. A good service to provide people is to say, we do need to be fluid in our thinking here. We need to be able to be ready to change when change is required, not stuck in a system that suits my fucking vanity or ego. Those type of people, you never really benefit from anything. You're basically in slavery to them. Mm-hmm. You know, you've been enslaved by their small mind. Dangerous place to be. Totally. You and I were talking about that in the kitchen before. Exactly. Mm. All right. I'm going to wrap it up. Yeah, wrap it up. That's it for an episode on changing your mind and a bunch of other stuff. Hmm. It's funny because, you know, like a lot of the show now, we still talk about dog training quite a bit, but there's a lot of just things that are our lives. Life I feel experiences. Like, I feel like when you named the show back when you did, it's kind of perfect because it's the canine paradigm. So it's like the paradigm that we're in within this industry rather than just dog training. So if you're pissed off that we don't talk about dog training enough, Maybe we need to do a Q&A episode about dog trading. But, but you know what? Just before we do get into the into the meat of that, in order to be a better dog trainer, you have to be a better person. Like you have to understand holistically everything that, that entails of being a person that is very inclusive and understands the whole picture rather than just a fraction of the picture. You're right. It is something that you have to be in total consideration of because if you're not in possession of all the facts, then how the hell are you going to impart that into a willing student, you know, be it a human or a dog? Agreed. Mm. That's it for another yep. episode of Canon Paradigm. <laughs> As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. Another really cool way to support the show, aside from Patreon, where I'm making little documentaries, I'm balls deep in that at the moment. It's, mm. I'm overwhelming myself, but I'm, I'm committed nonetheless. Or buying cool merch off of Teespring. That's, those are great ways to support the show. But probably the best way you could support the show is say to a friend in real life, Hey, you should listen to this. You yeah. might get something out of it. That's mm. probably the best way to support the show because then we get to hit someone else up about getting our Patreon yeah. <laughs> and buying our merch. Hey, you know what? I'd still love to get feedback from people about where you want to see things go. Like yeah. as you've said before, you know, maybe this isn't the tempo that 
the general population is. And we're putting out content that we think is suitable. And sometimes we get good feedback on that, which is nice. But if there is a general consensus of a line of where you want us to go, because we're a people show. Yeah. We are for you guys. Uh, yeah. And we're nearly 200 episodes in. Yes. There's a lot. To, this is 180, this one. Yeah. Right. So mm. there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of dog training info in the back of the back end. There's plenty to get at. Right. Yep. We've got a content for the future is where we're thinking. Mm. Anyway, that's it. If you want to get in contact with us, best way to do that is you should jump into our Facebook discussion group. Mm. It's pretty much uh, the only active place I am on Facebook at the moment. If you notice, Facebook's really dying. Like it's yeah. people just aren't using it aside from groups. Yep. It's real interesting. So follow us on the gram. Glenn runs the gram. Where he's got spicy memes in there all the time. Some homemade <laughs> memes, some stolen memes, yep. but memes nonetheless. Just memes about dogs and dog life. Yep. Trying to build the community on there. Yep. Or you could shoot us an email. We are info at canineparadigm.com. If you do email us, harass us a little bit because we miss a lot. Yes. So if we don't respond right away, harass us because we- Well, I get 60 work emails on an average day. Yeah. So that's just in my internal yeah. department. So I can't speak for Glenn, but if you try to get in contact with me, don't be afraid to harass me because I fucking miss a lot of or stuff. Just, if it's important and you yeah. feel like we've missed it, we haven't given it the due diligence it requires, yeah. again, yeah, harass. It's, it's not that we've ignored it, we've just missed it. Yep. That's it. Goodbye. <laughs>